All right, well, today is part three of our seven-part series on the book of Revelation. And over the last two weeks, we have looked at a couple of themes that are found in this book. First, we looked at the theme of Revelation, and then we looked at the theme of assurance that are found in this last book of the Bible. And today, we look at the theme of redemption, redemption. And today's sermon is entitled, The Lamb is the Lion. The Lamb is the Lion. And in the book of Revelation, we find that the lamb that was slain submitted himself to the cross and thus obtained the power and the strength of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so I'd like to start this morning by talking about an open door. Revelation 4 Verse one says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Now, in the previous section, in chapter three, we saw a bit of a different image. We saw Jesus knocking on a closed door, a closed door. And this closed door was an illustration of our stony hearts. Right, Jesus is knocking on the doors of our stony hearts, wanting to come in. He's inviting us to open the door so that he can come in and dine with us, spend time with us. But this scene in chapter four begins with an open door, an open door. And I love this reminder that the door is always open from heaven's side. The door is always open from heaven's side. And when we feel that God isn't listening or God doesn't care, hopefully this verse can remind us that the problem isn't with heaven's door. The problem is with our door. Have we locked the door? Do we have something blocking the door? Are we blocking the door? This is a powerful truth to understand. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, the way to the throne of heaven is wide open. We see that here, and if you want to look a little bit deeper, just check out Hebrews chapter 10, and you'll see this this concept once again, that the door to heaven is wide open. And through this open door, Jesus, or John, beholds an indescribable scene, though he tries his best to describe that scene. um, I'd imagine the way it actually looks and the way that John describes it, uh, there's some variance there. I mean, just think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in nature. Maybe it was a waterfall, maybe it was animals, maybe it was a landscape, and then try to describe that to someone. It doesn't quite do it justice. I mean, even taking it a step further, I'm sure we've all watched nature documentaries or nature programs before, and we've seen these beautiful things, but once you've seen the Grand Canyon in a video, once you've seen the the meadows of Ireland, do you not, well, I don't need to go there anymore. I don't need to see it in person. Usually that's not the thought. We, We even understand, we realize that what we're seeing on the screen, it's not quite the same as being there. It doesn't fully capture it. And so I imagine this is what John was going through. He's seeing this vision of heaven, and then it's sort of, how do I write this down? 
how can I convey this in a way that people will get it? But he, he tried. He tried his best. And he talks about one sitting on the throne in Revelation 4.2. And this scene is full of covenantal reminders and descriptions that surpass human understanding. And what follows these descriptions is one of the most flamboyant worship scenes in all of Scripture. With many voices, 24 elders and living creatures with six wings don't cease worshiping the creator God with these words. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The conclusion to chapter four is an exuberant praise to God, declaring him worthy to receive glory from all creation. The things that he created, all things, sing this song. Everything is wonderful. The creator is being worshiped. I mean, things look okay, right? Things look pretty nice, pretty positive. And it should, except... There's a problem. The problem is is that all of creation, and that's us included, the earth and all of its inhabitants have rebelled against its creator. Therefore, the scene, starting off very positive, drastically changes. Drastically changes. We now find that we are in big trouble. Have you ever received really bad news in the midst of, of a great celebration? Have you ever experienced that before? It's like everything changes in an instant. The the record stops and everybody falls silent. People quit talking together. Have you ever gone through your day feeling happy and, and positive and then you get that phone call with those lab results or the phone call about that car accident, or about that check that bounced. And maybe you're facing a situation like this right now. If so, just stick with me. Stick with me here, because in the next scene, John sees a scroll. And this scroll is so full of information. You can find this scroll in Revelation 5.1 if you're following along. The scroll is so full of information that it's written on front and back, front and back. And the scroll is placed in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So picture a perfectly sealed scroll. Seven unbroken seals. The symbol of perfection here. And this scroll is in place in the open palm of the creator God, the creator of the entire universe. It's placed in his open hand, and this scroll contains the history and destiny of all of mankind. Can you feel the suspense growing here? What is in this scroll? Previously in chapter 4, we were told that the first voice had invited John to come through the open door to behold what must take place. But now the scroll that contains the history of the world is completely closed. It's sealed. It can't be read. What is happening? 
A mighty voice is then heard challenging all of creation to find someone worthy, worthy to open these seals, to roll out this scroll that's going to reveal the destiny of all of mankind. And then we get the bad news. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So we've, we've got earth and everything under it. Everything, I mean, it's just, you know, this is sort of typical Paul language, even though this is John writing. He's like, how can I describe, make sure everybody knows that this is universal language that I'm using. There is nobody in the entire universe that can open this scroll. Yet here it sits. And I mean, a scroll is written so it can be read, right? We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. Is the villain of this story now winning? Because it, it, it seems that way. If you have ever felt absolutely and utterly helpless and hopeless, you'll understand John's response. Because John's response is he starts weeping, right? And, and bitterly weeping in total hopelessness in Revelation 5.4. But I thank God that for the Christian, for the Christian, that's all of us sitting here in this room, there is always something more, something better than what the situation appears to be. Something that follows the bitter weeping and the dark night. There's something more coming. For the Christian, there was always more than what the reality might appear to be. One of the elders can hardly wait to encourage John, saying, do not weep. What are you crying about? Just hold on, bear with me. And for those of us, you know, we, we sort of have a, a sneak peek. We know the end of the story. But John here, he's seeing this unravel all at a time. Similar to how Daniel was watching some history unravel before it took place. And I mean, he was so upset that he was sick for days. He was ill. He couldn't even stand. So John, he's struggling here. But this elder comes and says, do not weep. And he's got some incredible news to announce. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So it seemed like there was no one, but there is one. There is one with a capital O. He is mighty and victorious and triumphant. And alluding to two prophetic messianic titles from the Jewish scriptures, the elder announces that this mighty lion is the promised one from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, 9. And the descendant of David, which comes from Isaiah 11, 1 and 10, who has overcome and guarantees the future of humanity. So those of you taking notes, if you want to look those up, Genesis 49, verse 9, and Isaiah 11, 1 and 10. Revelation is constantly hearkening back to the Old Testament. Constantly hearkening back. There are more allusions to the Old Testament than there are verses in the book of Revelation. So that should maybe paint a little bit of a picture for you. 
But this, what is being told here by this elder, this is hope. And we all need hope, right? I mean, everybody in life needs hope. It's what we hang on to when things aren't going our way. When it seems that hope is lost, we're still hanging on to hope, believing and trusting that something more will come in the future, that this dark night will end and the morning will come. So we need this hope, and so does John. John needed this hope too. And when he turns to see the mighty lion of Judah, he's surprised because he sees a lamb. He hears a lion, he sees a lamb. And the lamb shows the signs of having been slain, yet there he is standing and very much alive. Wow. So there's a pattern in the book of Revelation. As you read through Revelation, you'll see this pattern pop up. And first, John hears something, but then he turns to see it, and he sees something totally different. So he hears one thing, and he sees something different. But even though it's different, it explains the thing that he heard before. So he turns to see the lion, but he finds the lamb instead. And the victory of the Lion of Judah has come through giving up his life as the sacrificial lamb. The lion is the lamb. The lamb is the lion. Now, I know that it might be hard for us to comprehend this right now, but referring to Jesus as a lamb was not common for early Christians. Like for us, we, you start talking about lamb symbolism, and we as Christians, we instantly start thinking about Jesus, right? But for the early Christians, those who were first reading this letter from John, what, Jesus, lamb, where is this connection coming from? The Greek word used for lamb is arnion, arnion. And it's used only 30 times in all of the Old Testament. 29 of those times it's used in Revelation. So hopefully that paints a picture. Jesus was not referred to as the lamb until this vision, until this letter was sent out to these seven churches. So I I hope that helps to clarify how uncommon it was to refer to Jesus as a lamb. I mean, John is getting new revelation here. New ideas, new descriptions of Jesus. You you could say that the character of Jesus was being unveiled, thus the title of the book. But the point isn't that Jesus is the lamb. I mean, that's a good thing to know, but the main point is that the lamb is worthy. The lamb is worthy, and only the lamb is worthy to be praised for redeeming the human race. It's only the lamb. This is the pivotal word in Revelation chapter 5. Worthy, worthy. Because of his sacrifice, Jesus is worthy to control the world, to be in control of its final destiny. So let me ask you all a question. Do you like new things? Do you like new things? Okay. Does it bring you joy when you get a new car? Does it? Does it yes. <laughs> new clothes or when you make a new friend, when a new episode of your favorite show comes out, when you try a tasty new dish, 
What about when you learn something new? It, it brings you joy, right? It brings you happiness. We enjoy seeing new things, experiencing new things. And in the book of Revelation, when the lamb takes the scroll, a new song erupts. A new song, a song that has never been heard before. It's never been sung before. And there are a lot of things that are new in the book of Revelation, right? You've got new names, a new heaven, a new earth, because God makes all things new. He makes all things new. And to this awesome new revelation of Jesus comes the appropriate response, a new song. I mean, I know that there are some of you here, right, right, right in this room this morning, that when you're happy, when you're excited, when things are going your way, you just can't help but sing. You know, maybe you're belting out a tune, maybe you're just whistling or, or humming, but there's something about singing when, when you're really joyful, just a, a song just happens. And that's what took place here in this heavenly throne room scene. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. The details of this song are quite astounding. Because the song answers all of the main questions that might be asked about the Lamb's worthiness of everyone's praise, honor, and worship forever. When? When did the Lamb come to be victorious? He became victorious when he died. The song answers all of these questions. What did the Lamb accomplish? He purchased humanity. How did he achieve it? He accomplished it through his blood. Who did he redeem? He purchased men and women of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Nobody was excluded. Nobody is left out. And for whom did he purchase them? For God. For God. He reestablished this relationship that was grounded in creation, but it was broken. It was broken. And Jesus came and he's made this broken relationship back whole again. He's taken these people, us, and made us kings and priests to our God. Jesus' love surpasses any other love, any other love that we've ever heard or we've ever experienced in our life. And the focus of Revelation 4 was that God is worthy to be praised because he is the creator. But now the focus of Revelation 5 switches to the lamb who is worthy to be praised because he is redeemer. The father worthy to be praised because he's creator. The lamb, the son, the Messiah, Christ worthy to be praised because he's our redeemer. Because he's redeemed us. They both, the Father and the Son, have purpose to redeem God's creation. And then we see this in the chapter five narration. Verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I mean, he's doing this thing again, right? He's trying to, hey, hey everybody, 
I'm talking about everybody, everything here. I heard everybody, everything saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Everyone joins in to praise the creator and the redeemer. Every creature, that includes you and me. I know that I want to join in and start singing and praising him already. I don't want to have to wait for heaven to do that. Even though I can't wait to get to heaven. Can you? I mean, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He has redeemed us because he is worthy. He's the only one that could do it. And he did it. So when your days are hard and you feel unworthy of salvation, remember the lamb, the only one who was worthy. You don't have to look at yourself and ask if you are worthy. You just have to look at Jesus and ask if he was worthy. And that answer is resoundingly yes, yes. When your days are dark and the the giant in your life or the villain in your life seems to be winning, and you need somebody to defend you, remember the strength and the might of the Lion of Judah and start singing. Start singing, whether it's through praises, you're you're singing actual songs or you're humming, or maybe you're singing through prayer, thanking God, grasping onto that assurance. Maybe you're singing through your actions the way that you deal with other people. Would you like to practice this? right now. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I'm not going to ask you to start singing, but I want you to do something simple. Similar to what we did last week, you're going to see a statement and you're going to see some blanks. Your name goes into the blank. So you see that blank? That's for me and TJ said with a loud voice. And Ron said with a loud voice, and Marcus said, so you guys get this, put your name in there. This is you saying with a loud voice. And let's say this this next part, starting with worthy, let's say it together. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the song that needs to be in our heart every single day. We tend to focus on our problems and the song gets quieter and quieter and quieter to the point that we don't sing it, we don't even hear it. But if we can make this song our purpose that because we've been redeemed, we want to sing to our God, this can change your life in a profound way on a daily basis. So add your name to that. And when you read it, when you sing it, when you think it, do it with Gusto, enjoy. So we've covered three themes so far, the past three weeks, but I just want to remind you that these themes aren't detached from each other. We've looked at revelation, we've looked at assurance, and now we've looked at redemption, right? But you can rejoice since you've had the revelation that you are assured of your salvation because you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You see how these themes fit together? 
The themes of Revelation paint a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what that means for you and for me. Sing your song of joy. Sing your song because the lamb is worthy and the lamb has chosen you. And because the lamb is worthy and he's chosen you, then you by proxy are worthy in the eyes of God. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this book this book that it can be confusing. There are all these symbols and there's all this history, but Lord, above all of that, we see a picture of Jesus. Lord, may we come to see and understand the character of Jesus better. And I believe that as we do that, then all the other pieces in this book will start to fall into place. And we will see that even though times may get dark, times may get difficult, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is one who is worthy to open the seal, that there is one who is worthy to call us redeemed, and that one is Jesus. May our main focus be Jesus. May our main reason for getting up and doing nice things and saying nice things be because of Jesus. Lord, fill us with your spirit and give us the mind and the character of Jesus because we desperately need it so that we can share this message of love and forgiveness, this gospel message with the world. Use us in whatever way you see fit, Lord, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.